Welcome to the Run Against Violence podcast for 2022, where together we'll listen, learn and talk about how we can all take steps to create respectful relationships in order to prevent family violence in our communities. Hello, I'm Jen Brown and I am the host of the Run Against Violence podcast for 2022. This podcast covers the Run Against Violence, or as we love to call it, RAV, Virtual Team Challenge. As teams of walkers and runners are virtually chasing each other from Broken Hill to Sydney and back, I might add, covering a distance of 1,300 kilometres over 19 days. I would like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and travel through. Our route from Broken Hill to Sydney crosses from the lands of the Wiradjuri Nation in the west of New South Wales to the Eora Nation in the east, and I am recording this podcast today on Darug and Gundungara country. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, and I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are listening today. Welcome back. So it is officially day eight of the 2022 virtual challenge. I hope you're well. I hope you're having fun. I hope your feet aren't too sore just yet. Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to update you on two numbers. The first is our donations target. The goal of the RAV virtual team challenge this year is to raise $100,000. And as of yesterday, we were at just under 25,000, so a quarter of our way to our target. Now, 100% of all monies raised this year is going to NAPCAN, the National Association for the Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect, and for their incredible program called Love Bites. Now, if you want to hear more about Love Bites, Love Bites, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to Trista from NAPCAN in episode one, and check out episode five with Robin Harmon and Dave Harmon. Plus, we'll be talking about it more in an upcoming episode next week. The second number is my favorite, I think. It is the combined distance, the number of times we, Rav, everyone participating in the virtual challenge, circumnavigates the world, the number of laps we do around the Earth's circumference or around the equator. I'm going to update this one in each of the episodes going forward. So, fun fact for your next trivia night. The distance around the Earth's equator, equator, try saying that five times fast, the distance around the equator is 40,075 kilometres. Now, when I, when I ran the numbers yesterday, we had a combined total distance of, wait for it, 91,000 kilometres. In fact, 91 1,655 kilometers to be precise, meaning so far we have made 2.2 trips around the world and that's in just under a week. So I cannot wait to see what that number is in 10 days time. Now onto this episode, it's a little different from normal. Um, the co-founders of RAV, Kira Lee Deer and Brad Smithers, who you heard from in episode one of this season, are back. And this time they are lifting the lid and taking you behind the scenes of RAV and sharing the financial report. So you're going to hear lots of numbers in this episode, but we also talk about the history of RAV's partnership and support of NAPCAN and how we, you, 
all of us, support their incredible Love Bites program. And you'll hear Kiralee and Brad discuss the future plans, the 10-year vision for the growth and impact of the Run Against Violence. Kiralee and Brad, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. Um, It has been nine, ten episodes since you were here. (laughs) How has your last couple of, well, two months been going? (laughs) Rather hectic. Would that be an understatement, (laughs) Kiralee? Honestly, when you said... um, nine episodes or ten episodes, I think, seriously, that's all it is. It feels like a lifetime. But the last 72 hours feel like a lifetime as well. So it's um, (laughs) certainly been a very full couple of months. It sure has. And I'm just checking. Yes, this is episode number 11. So it's been ten episodes since you were last here. How funny. So today you're here. You're both here to share the financial report of RAV. Kiralee, why are we doing this via the podcast? Like, why is it important for you to share these details, all the numbers, all the behind the scenes of RAV, and share it here in this way? For me personally, and I know for Brad as well, it's about creating transparency around what we're doing so people understand what happens with the money. We're a a volunteer organisation and it's really important for us to know that people can see what's going on within the organisation. And we don't sort of think of it as a, a committee that's beavering away and, and doing our bit and behind closed doors. We actually want everyone to have a sense of ownership um, of RAV. Um, and so part of that is making sure, you know, at a very high level at least, you understand the, the financial position of the organisation, what's happening with money, how much things cost to run even and, uh, yeah, how we make all of that happen. So it's about ensuring that every raver out there feels like they understand this organisation and that we're, we're an open door. I love that because I see the sense of community that exists and how passionate people are about the cause and about RAV. Um, but it's really a credit to you both that you're willing to, or that the committee is willing to sort of open the door up in this way and, and have that level of transparency so that people can actually feel part of it. So, so, so thank, thank you, Jen. Um, this is the financial report for the year ending 30th of June 2022. So for the, for the year, our total income was 313000 comprising of $79,000 in donations, $61,000 in merchandise sales across the year, and $173,000 in virtual run registrations. We then spent $121,000 on virtual run merchandise, virtual run and merchandise expenses, giving us a gross profit for the year of $192,000. From the gross profit, our main operating expenses were in three areas. Basic, the big one was donations to NAPCAM for the Love Brights program of 166000 Then we had promotion and marketing of 12000 And then just the day-to-day administrative legal uh, insurance and operating systems of 6000 That gave us a net profit for the year of, for the financial year of $8,000. On top of that, um, we have a very strong balance sheet at the moment and there's no issues with solvency. And just to 
for, for the issues of transparency as well, um, there's particularly our volunteers and we don't receive any reimbursement back from for RAV for our, for our labour. I have to say, having seen behind the scenes of RAV for the last couple of months and the last week in particular since the challenge started, it is amazing to me to see the amount of work the hundreds and hundreds of hours that you both put into RAV throughout the course of the year and the dedication that your entire committee shows as volunteers. Like I really do take my hats off to you. And I think it would surprise a lot of people for them to know that you both in particular are volunteers to RAV. Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of the, the questions I get asked quite a bit. It's like, so what was your job before you moved to RAV? And it's like, um... I still have a job. <laughs> RAV is the sideline. It's just the equivalent of a full-time job, but I don't get paid anything. So, um, yeah, both Brad and I have very busy other other lives where we earn money and, and have normal lives. Um, so, yeah, this this has been all built out of our volunteer hours, out of our, our spare time um, for it. So, which is, you know, we wouldn't swap that for, for anything. We absolutely love everything that's being created. But it's certainly, I, <laughs> I just had a thought, Brad, that I think um, that day that we, uh, I guess, you know, initially decided to do the Broken Hill to Sydney Ultra Marathon. I wonder what our decision would have been if we'd known this is where it was going to lead to <laughs> this amount of work. So I'm totally unprepared, Brad. What What are your thoughts on that? Would have you still said yes? I might have continued driving once we got to Sydney, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to the numbers for one last question. In terms of auditing the financials, Brad, how does that all work and what's what's the situation or the process behind that? Yes, Jen. So up until 2021, we utilised the services of a volunteer auditor. Then with the growth of our organisation and for greater transparency, we formally appointed a CPA auditor who will be conducting a full audit for the past two financial years. We will then continue to have the accounts audited annually, and the auditor will also be completing a review of our financial management processes and providing recommendations for improvements as required. So this is an ongoing process, Jen. It's not just a one-off. That's fantastic. And we'll set you in great stead, set you, set RAV in great stead for the future, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, Kiralee, NAPCAN. Um, Brad mentioned that one of the or the largest expenses is the donation made to NAPCAN and Love Bites. But can you give us, especially for those who aren't really aware of the relationship between um, RAV and NAPCAN and who they are, um, can you give us some background as to the history there and then, you know, what our contribution to NAPCAN has been over recent years? Back in 2019, we had a very successful edition of the Virtual Challenge and the financial position of the organisation reached a point where we could start investing in programs. Now, we, we covered all the basic financial needs of the organisation, got enough money in the kitty to make sure we're solvent and can operate. 
So the committee started looking for options for, you know, what do we do with this money? How do we start having an impact with the money that we're raising? And we spent about, oh, would you say six to nine months, Brad, having a, a hunt around um, for options because we were really keen to invest in uh, organisations, things that are already happening rather than replicating what already existed. Um, and after a long search, uh, we came across NAPCAN, which was an incredible uh, one of those, um, I guess, cycles of life in that back in 2014 um, when I did um, my original run from uh, Walgett to Forbes and, you know, Brad was my head crew on that, we came across a program in the high schools out in regional New South Wales that was called Love Bites and the teachers raved about it, the principals raved about it and the kids loved it. And it was this incredibly leading-edge program that helped facilitate conversations with high school kids uh, around respectful relationships. We'd seen the outcomes of the program, absolutely loved it. So all these years later, um, so roughly six years later, when we were having a look around for where to invest this money, we came across NAPCAM and the Love Bites program. And they were saying at the time that they had reached a particular point in the growth of the program. It, it had become a bit restricted because they had lots of demand, not necessarily the financial ability to supply, and there was a lot of different adaptions and all sorts of problems were hampering their, their growth. And so we stepped in and said, well, let's, let's see if we can't change that. Um, and change that outcome. So over the last two years, um, we've invested $200,000 into the Love Bites program, all of which has been raised through the virtual challenge, through donations, as well as through the sale of the merchandise and registration fees and all those sorts of things. So as per the the financial statement that Brad just read, uh, Brad... (laughs) Bread. It's it's late. We're recording this late. <laughs> As per the financial statement um, that Brad uh, just read out, we've invested in the last twelve months um, one hundred and sixty-six thousand dollars into that program, which has been a massive game changer. We have worked out a, a process with NatCan for the allocation of those funds and where we actually put the money because there's lots and lots of need out there. Um, so basically how that works is NatCan provide us recommendations for investment in three areas. First one is facilitator training. That's upskilling people to deliver the program into schools uh, and they can come from all walks of life. They might be teachers, police, social workers, members of the general public. Uh, the second bucket is program adaptation, so taking the core program and making it appropriate for different communities. Maybe it's Indigenous communities or remote communities or communities with special needs. And the third bucket is then delivery systems because there's no use having all these people trained up and all this great program content if then the systems don't work to actually get it out there. So they're the three um, areas of influence, I guess, with our investment. NAPCAM provide us the recommendations of what they would like to do. We review those recommendations, seek further information when we're required and then make a decision. So to give you a sense of how that plays out in the real world, during the 2021-22 financial year, the key investments were as follows. 
we put $94,900 into facilitator training. So far, 173 people have completed that training or are scheduled and there's funds allocated for a further 22 people to be scheduled. So it wow. roughly works out about four to $500 um, per person to train them up. The second bucket then is we've spent $45,300 has been invested in community in a community management platform which will enable communities to have better visibility and communication and that will increase the adoption and delivery of the program. So, for instance, what that means is within a particular region, historically it hasn't been easy to trace, you know, who's been trained up, how often they're training, when are they available. Um, so it wasn't particularly easy for a school, for instance, if they wanted to um, put together a Love Bites program to find out who to contact is available, all those sorts of things in the local area. So the community management platform that we're helping fund will improve that, will improve that visibility and communication. So obviously it becomes a lot easier for uh, schools and the community to ramp up that program and make that program happen. The third piece um, that we've invested in is the development of online modules for teachers. So 25000 $800 has been invested into that. So this is a really new initiative to upskill up -skill school teachers. Say that fast on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> upskill <laughs> school teachers in the area of respect for relationships. Because school teachers are saying, well, okay, great, you're coming in, you're facilitating these programs for our students. But how do we have those conversations within our day-to-day -day class, how do we manage this, the dynamics of our day-to-day -day classrooms so that we are building those same principles into our daily activities? You, know, how you get what you inspect, basically. So uh, making sure that teachers understand what respectful relationships look like, what the dynamics are, what are the behaviours and those sorts of things so they can keep, I guess, reinforcing that and, and helping the students move along that path. Um, toward respectful relationships. So that's that's been the, the major areas of investment with NAPCAN um, for this year. That's amazing. And I love hearing too about the um, development of the online modules for teachers um, because, it, you know, it would be one thing to have a facilitator come in and run Love Bites, I imagine, you know, over the course or one day or over the course of several weeks. But then to have for school teachers to have the language and the tools to reinforce, as you say, um, and continue those conversations. That's so incredibly powerful. Exactly, and important and something that teachers want. So it's really wonderful that we're playing a role in helping our teachers who are already stretched to the limit and <laughs> pulled in every possible direction that we can you know, possibly help make life that little bit easier for them and, and empower them is, is a really wonderful thing. Mm. So if you're listening to this and you want to hear more about Love Bites itself, um, I'd suggest going back to listen to episode five when I spoke with Robin Harmon and Dave Harmon. Robin is a deputy principal and a facilitator of Love Bites and she talks about it. Um, plus, coming up in the podcast next week, um, we will be talking more about Love Bites. So stay tuned for that one. So that's that's sort of where we're up to today. That brings us to present day. Where where is where are we going? What's the future plans, Brad? Lay it out for us, please. Okay, Jen, I will do that for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
good question again. So everyone by now will be familiar with the new race roster system. Been a very interesting couple of days. We are 10 days into our 10-year plan for growth and impact of running against violence. During the past six years, we have seen a tremendous change in the conversation surrounding family violence and the impact of ravers rippling through our communities. One of those stories was shared yesterday by a first-time raver, and it's just beautiful to read those stories. We have also received many requests from ravers to expand the program to include events like a children's challenge and a pet challenge. Our new technology is the basis for this to happen, allows to happen. During the years, we have also received requests from other countries who would like to replicate our success. The new technology and our partnership with Race Roster will make this possible. Our 10-year vision is to be the largest participation event in Australia and to have established footprints in other countries. And the mission of RAV is to create a healthy relationship culture within our local communities and to remove the stigma and social barriers that often stop people from talking about their experiences with family violence and asking for help when it is needed. The more we can engage with, the better we will fulfil our, our mission. So many things that jumped out at me then. The first is that we are 10 days into a 10-year plan. Um, that's daunting and exciting um, and probably explains to those listening who have struggled a little bit with race roster in the last few days um, that this is a, a natural consequence of, of the plans that you are laying down for the future. And the second thing that jumped out at me is just around that mission of RAV, like it's been interesting to me as someone coming into the organisation or into working with you, how important that mission is and how important it is that we remove the stigma and social barriers that stop people talking about it. Like it's something that every conversation I have had with or about the podcast, with, for or about the podcast, that has come up time and time and time again and it's just reinforcing for me personally how important the work of RAV is and how important that 10-year plan is and the overall mission is. Yeah, as I said, I, I, um, a first-time Rav has shared a story yesterday. Um, um, he has a support dog with him and, and just the story around it and that it was just, it, it, it's just, it's just very moving, Jen. Just that that he felt comfortable enough to share his story, and to be able to um, uh, to be welcomed into the right family. That's mm, beautiful, Kiralee. When do you when you think about being ten days into a ten year plan? <laughs> um, how do you feel? What comes to mind? You have you have dangerous inside knowledge, Jen. I've stopped crying. <laughs> if that helps. <laughs> Yes, that's that's good. good. It's a good piece of perspective, I can tell you, after um, the the teething issues and the noise, I guess, that was on social media as a result. Um, I, first of all, just want to thank all the, uh, particularly our long-term rabbits who um, know that when our other old, uh, the old system went in, it was clunky the first year too and we refined it. Um, we needed to bring this new system in uh, to allow our our growth and to for really for us to fulfil our mission. Um, and I really just want to thank the um, everyone who chose to just have a laugh, be cool, and use the manual upload. 
<laughs> but look, it's it's a great piece of perspective because when we're down in the trenches um, trying to get this stuff to work and make these ideas a reality, you can often lose the perspective that this is a 10-year plan. You know, this is just the very early days of something that's going to be very big and very exciting. Over the last few days, I have been able to travel, as you know, around some of the, the RAV groups um, and to see the – we have this incredible culture within this organisation, within our community, within our family, in that we're dealing with possibly the most painful taboo topic in our culture. We, this topic carries shame with it like no other topic that I know. And uh, But Ravers do it in style. We have fun with each other. We support each other. And then it just creates this wonderful dynamic where people feel safe to talk. And it, it struck me this morning, I'm down um, in south of Sydney um, at the moment and met up with some of the local runners down here. And, gosh, they're an amazing, one amazing group of people. I don't think it's coincidence that everywhere I go in this country, when I meet Ravers, they're just the most phenomenal group of people. <laughs> I don't think that's coincidence. I think um, it's a sort of cause, a sort of... Um, I guess, uh, idea that attracts that calibre of people. But, um, you know, we, we were able to just talk about, um, about family violence, not in an offhand way, but just without fear, without the cringe factor, without um, feeling blame or feeling guilt or feeling, feeling any of those things. We just said, you know what, this is what it is. This is you know, coercive control. Let's talk about this. Let's learn about it. Um, and just the energy and enthusiasm people have for that change is phenomenal. So, um, yeah, it's it's humbling um, to to see that happen. It's um, incredibly motivating and exhilarating to see just how good humans can be when they really put their mind to it. Mm. Yeah, that's really struck me about the RAV community too is how... A, how passionate people are, how kind people are, even when um, on Tuesday um, Brace Roster was being a, a, a little naughty, shall we say, <laughs> um, and as someone who still has to use manual upload, that's okay, um, the kindness and the way the conversations I saw on social media about people you know, our team captains in particular, the way they were going out of their way to support their teams and help their teams navigate this change and help their teams find a way to, up, you know, to learn how to manual upload and how to navigate this new system. Like it's just such a beautiful, caring, kind community and, the, and that can only help us talk about really uncomfortable topics without stigma and without shame. It is pretty amazing, isn't it? Mm. It is very, very special and we can't ever take that for granted. I think what we've created, and when I say we, I mean, like you say, all the team captains, all our long-term participants, we've got people, a lot, and lots, hundreds and hundreds of people that were here from the, from the get-go that are still here and that have expanded this into their local communities and, and taken it. Um, I always, whenever I watch the documentary, I always get rather teary at a few spots, but particularly at the end when our intent was, when we got that sand from um, the border of New South Wales and 
dropped it into the ocean um, next to the Sydney Opera House. You know, the the idea was that, you know, we're sending that out and for other people to pick it up and run with it and make it their own and make it happen in their own communities. And that's what we've seen. Um, you see people like and um, Belinda Seaman and uh, all the incredible people that she's gathered around her down in the Limestone Coast. It's just incredible that all of that is possible because somebody, somebody just said, you know what, there's something here, there's something I can do. And it just grows and grows. It takes time. It takes a lot of effort. But, gosh, it's worthwhile. And I don't think there's anything more rewarding that we can do in our lives than, than bring an end to family violence. Build communities where, there, where family violence doesn't have a role. It, it has no place. And that's what we're starting to see. Like RAV is this example of what's possible. Um, and I think we set ourselves to be... Um, to continue to learn and to continue to understand what a, a culture free of violence, free of abuse, free of aggression actually looks like. And from what I see, it looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wonderful and fulfilling. It's so enriching. It's it's a really wonderful place to be. So oh. who knows? Let's see where we are in 10 years' time. Yeah. It's funny, like we've known each other for well over 10 years and I was only reflecting on that yesterday. So it'll be interesting to see another 10 years where where we both are. Yes. Yes. Mm. And I'll to do it. Yeah. And given we're 10 days in um, to the 10-year plan for RAV, I'm excited to see where it is in another nine years and 346 days. Um, <laughs> but you've certainly laid one heck of a foundation, particularly with the changes this year and the new systems you've introduced. So I cannot wait to see what, um, what I was going to say what RAV becomes, but it's more than that. It's what RAV is. and and who Rav is like Rav to me is is not just you and Brad. It's and the committee. It's every single person mm-hmm. out there doing their virtual challenge at the moment, and it, people who are part of the community but aren't able to do the virtual challenge. Like it's a, a massive amount of people all working to the same cause, and it's just extraordinary to watch. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Well, thank Should you. I just squeeze a word in, Brad, or will the chicks just keep talking? <laughs> it's, uh, you summed up brilliantly anyway, and I, I think community is what is, is my main point, is, you know, we, we build beautiful community. We build a community around us which is very supportive and, and all-inclusive, and th- this will be the result. So no, mm. no, nothing more to add. <laughs> <laughs> Except there will be more. I just sort of think, you know, we've got through this little storm. There will be more storms, folks, because we're not, we're not, um, you know, doing this just to for tokenism or to look good. We we really want to bring about change, and sometimes that change brings with it a little few rough patches. So thank you for weathering the storm with us. Actually, and, um, your your post on social the other day about the analogy to to a true ultra was so perfect <laughs> and spot on. Like, you know, the plan goes out the window the first day, and you you improvise and you come up with solutions and you try different things and you just keep the end goal in mind, um, mm-hmm. even if the path that you plan to take deviates ever so slightly. And remember to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Keep your sense of humour. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Thank you so much uh, for both of you for being here, for sharing all the numbers and the behind the scenes. And, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's look forward to the next 10 years. Thanks, Jen. Thank many thanks, Jen. So when I was looking at the number of participants in the virtual challenge a few weeks ago and their location, I was really impressed and inspired by how many small towns and regional centres were represented. In fact, the vast majority of participants in the virtual challenge are based in regional areas. So I thought it would be great to highlight a few. So I've reached out to a few and you'll hear from them uh, again next week to share initiatives and work that's being done in their region to prevent and end domestic and family violence. Today, you'll meet Mayor Tom Kennedy. Now, he is the mayor of our starting point for the virtual challenge. He is the mayor of Broken Hill City Council and he's here to share the efforts being made, including one fantastic initiative involving sport. Um, that is helping to prevent and hopefully eventually end domestic and family violence in his region. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jen. So, Broken Hill, for those of us who have not had the pleasure, and I confess, I was thinking about this before, I don't think I have been to Broken Hill. Um, I'm very embarrassed to say. Where is it? Can you tell us exactly where we will find Broken Hill? Well, we're right on the other side of the state of New South Wales, so we're as far west as you can get from Sydney. So we're we're 50 k's from uh, the South Australian border. I was wondering how close you were to the border. Mm. Well, we're the third. There's no other town besides us closer. Right. And how big is the town of Broken Hill and also your sort of region, your council area? Uh, so we're a city council, so our council area is not that big. Uh, we've got about 18 or so thousand people, uh, but we do look after the region. So uh, a lot of people from Wilcannia, Menindi, Tipperborough. So we take in a whole region, but our city area is only uh, the city limits. Right. And how big sort of that area that you take in, that's quite a large chunk of? Uh, probably probably a fifth of the western side of the state, so right up from the top of uh, to Queensland mm-hmm. out probably, say, two or 300 k's uh, east towards Sydney and if you drop it down to almost to the Victorian border. Oh, my goodness. We service all that area. So That's yeah. incredible. And did you grow up in Broken Hill? Yes, I grew up in Brokeborn and grew up in Broken Hill. The only time I haven't been in Broken Hill was about eight years in Adelaide. Oh, wow. So it might seem like an obvious question, I guess, but why is domestic violence, domestic and family violence prevention, um, such an important issue for the council and the region out there? Oh, look, it's important because if, particularly if kids don't get a good start uh, in in life, uh, they grow up not being the best people they can. So you've got to make sure... Uh, you look at substance abuse, that's a big issue in uh, Broken Hill, either alcohol or drugs, uh, and that can lead to um, domestic violence of both uh, women, men and children. So one thing you really want to do is to break that cycle, make sure the children particularly are not uh, having to deal with that on a, a daily basis. Mm. And I imagine my perception is that mental health issues in regional areas 
may be a major factor as well. Is that be right? Oh, look, that is a major factor. So when the uh, rivers run dry, when our Darling River ran dry and the Menindee Lakes were dry, it actually caused significant uh, mental health issues, but it also increased domestic violence quite dramatically. Mm. And what are some of the, I think, uh, you know, domestic and family violence um, prevention programs or support programs that you've got in place out there? Because that's a mass. And how do you cover such a massive, she says, extending her arms, like <laughs> yeah. a, a massive area of, of country? Yeah, so so Broken Hills, the uh, main regional area, so we're the ones that have all the services for that. When you look at um, places like Wilkenia, well, Kenya, five or 600 people, they just can't have it, or Menindee. Uh, you know, a similar amount of people, uh, Tipperborough less. So we are the pe- we are the centre that has all those services. Uh, they, we have recently just got a um, few extra uh, mental health suites, which has helped in that respect. Uh, the state government are looking at uh, domestic violence facilities to be built in Broken Hill to actually help with that, and that'll be a really good thing. Um, one of the things that I'm proud to say I was involved with earlier, and that was about 10, 12 years ago when I was the vice president of the Rugby League, we were the first to introduce uh, a domestic violence policy that uh, was funded by the state government and they gave us $50,000 uh, to implement. And what it was, if there was any reporting of domestic violence within a team, they were actually banned from playing uh, two games of rugby. So it actually significantly reduced domestic violence in uh, our communities. That's Wilcannia, Menindee and Broken Hill. Uh, and it wasn't so if you were picked up by the police, whether charged or whatever, uh, you're automatically deemed to be involved in de- domestic violence and missed out on a couple of games. Um, wives or children could report domestic violence and you'd miss out on a game. So what it caused was the communities to come together to make sure that domestic violence didn't happen because they wanted to make sure they had the best players for rugby on the weekend. So it worked out uh, really well and it was implemented all over the state. That's incredible. Mm, It was really good, really good. And I had lots of of ladies that were involved in uh, the rugby and some of them were presidents and they said it really did have a huge impact. You even have some people that... Um, more or less cried with joy uh, that it that did have such a positive effect on domestic violence during the playing season. That's a that's such an incredible program. I th- and and it's using sport, which or, or a, an interest of people as a conduit. It's almost like um, a bit of a Trojan horse to get to to. to oh, you'd like it, Jen, because. You're doing it with sport, and I thought I'd better mention what happened. <laughs> actually, did work, and it, it worked really well. So, um, the so when you talk about country towns, it was the fear of letting your teammates down by not being able to play. So, um, I know uh, of some people that would uh, deliberately provoke and still wouldn't go there because they didn't want to risk losing. Uh, game so it really was successful and sport is a good way to uh, because what happens is when you're on a team you're all all together you can talk to people you can um where in normal society it's a little bit harder but in a team you know for example if someone was having troubles with domestic violence you've got some of your teammates that say look you can't go there mate you know you let people down so it does have 
uh, a positive effect on limiting domestic mm-hmm. violence for sure. That's awesome. That's brilliant. And how have you, I know you were elected mayor nine months ago in December 2021, but even before then, you know, as a Broken Hill boy yourself, how have you seen the conversations or how have you seen conversation around domestic and family violence change over the years and what impact do you think that has had? Uh, look, I think there's a long way to go. I really do. Some of the some of the things around domestic violence are still way too taboo, and people want to talk about it, particularly when it comes to kids. Um, so I would like uh, to increase a, a lot and um, not hide behind uh, the stigma of you know oh we can't go there or whatever. Because if we really wanted to address domestic violence in households. Uh, you can't be afraid to talk about anything. We can't be limited to just one section of domestic violence because if you are limited to one section, what actually happens is the domestic violence continues because because you haven't addressed it as a as a total rather than trying to address it as a little bit. And it definitely is easier for people to talk about. Um, what I most, from my uh, perspective, most men are always being opposed to domestic violence, and they're first to stick up for uh, whether it's children or women, and will even fight with other men if that domestic violence uh, occurs in front of them. But the reality is, a lot of this domestic violence occurs at home, uh, where you don't get to see it. You you hear about it later, but. Um, that's why I suppose the conversation is important. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I just loved highlighting uh, what you're doing in Broken Hill um, and also given it's our starting starting point for um, the virtual you challenge. You have been here. You're here now. You haven't even left. <laughs> I haven't left. I, I was saying, uh, obviously, I haven't done my kilometres for today. Today's the 30th of August. We're starting the virtual challenge today. I haven't done my kilometres, so technically I am still in Broken Hill. Exactly. So you have been here. <laughs> I have. No, I can't say that because then I could say I can tick the box and don't have to come, and I do want to come <laughs> to Broken Hill one day. So. Oh, sure. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much you. for your time today. No worries. See you later. Now, if you want to join the RAV Virtual Challenge, don't forget that registrations are still open and will be up until Friday the 9th of September. So you still have a few days, but don't wait that long. Make sure if you haven't already registered your team and organize a few friends to join you. If you don't have a team and still want to be involved, it is not too late. Hop onto the RAV website. You can register there and the amazing people behind the scenes at RAV will find you a team. And if you have a team and you've got a a few spare spots still in your team, round up a few more friends and fill those spots. It's a fantastic way to get your friends and family involved. Now, finally, in each episode, we're highlighting and hearing from one of the amazing teams who are participating in the challenge this year. To wrap up today's episode, we have Renee from BMMC3 with a little bit of smack talk for the other BMMC teams. Hi, I'm Renee. Uh, I'm from team BMMC3, uh, which is one of the Blue Mountains Marathon Clinic teams. Uh, We're the best team, the third team. (laughs) Uh, We have some really great runners, uh, really elite runners um 
Jody's done the Unreasonable East and a lot of um, UTA 100s and she's just a machine. Daryl, who just accepts any kind of challenge that's put in front of him and and um, is just the most happy-go-lucky man. Um, Daryl, Dean and I have been in the same team for the last three years, so we're original together. Uh, we've got my husband, Peter, who is, uh, and we also have Simone, who are just silent assassins. They just get out there and smash the Ks. We've uh, got Phil, who's up in the Northern Territory. He's also done a couple of 100s, and Dean is fantastic um he was in our team last year and another one that just gets out there every morning pounds the pavement puts in a lot of effort gets close to a uh, 200 um the last couple of years so uh craig is new to our team this year and so is mandy um but craig is another one um he's done the last two events with daryl um they're big in the um in the Blue Mountains running community. So um, Craig gets out there most mornings and and um, gets the job done. So we and Mandy is new to our team this year. Her brother was in our team a couple of times. So another one that is uh, a little bit nervous, but um, we know that she can, can get the Ks done. And um, we're all striving for um, trying to get to the 200 mark for um the 19 days so that's a bit of a challenge that we've set the team and like I think majority of us are definitely able to do it I've uh, got a little bit of a, a game plan so for it's good good cause and we're happy to get out there and and raise awareness and try to promote what we can through running I did miss someone so I miss Leon Leon is um new to the team as well and I I'm quite sure he's not done Rav before, and but he gets out there with Simone and he will absolutely kill it as well. So that's it for this episode of the 2022 Run Against Violence podcast. Thank you for being here. Don't forget to register your team and then we would love it if you would share this episode with one person or your entire team. I'm Jane Brown and I will chat to you in a few days' time. Bye.